This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Made for This podcast. We are so privileged and honored to have Dr. Charles Mukisha joining us today to talk about isolation and connection. Pastor Charles is the founder of Africa New Life, and if you have been around the If Gathering family for long or follow Jenny on social media, Jenny and Zach have been longtime friends of Pastor Charles and his family and of Africa New Life. You will not want to miss a single minute of this conversation. Well, this is a tremendous honor for me. I have known Pastor Charles for many years. I think the first time we met was actually in the U.S. And he and his family, who we also have grown to love, stayed in our house with us for, I think it was about a week. Mm -hmm. And my kids have never been happier. (laughs) It, It made me believe in communally living because they just, every day, my kids would like race to get home from school so that they could play with Pastor Charles's kids and Florence's. And it was such an honor to meet you in that way. When we were adopting Cooper from Rwanda, mm-hmm. Pastor Charles and Florence were in the U- United States mm-hmm. and we were able to stay in their house while we adopted Cooper. I don't even know if you remember that. I do, I do remember <laughs> that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so that was such a provision. And then just working with African New Life and being a part of that ministry for many years, it just it's such an honor to have you in our home again and to have this conversation today. We're going to talk about connectedness and what that means. But why don't we start just a little bit about your story beginning in Uganda mm-hmm. and then what what took you to Rwanda? You know, I was uh, raised up in Uganda to a family of Rwandans who were refugees in Uganda. Dad and mom, they left him. Rwanda in 1959 and um, as a result they lived in Rwanda as refugees running away from the first part of the genocide that happened in the 1950s and 60s and 70s and then really that ended around 1994. In 1994 I was around 25-26 years of age and everything erupted back home would see dead bodies coming over from Rwanda to Uganda because there's a river that connects from Rwanda to Lake Victoria and the river would actually bring in bodies of Rwandans to Uganda. Little did I know that some of them were even my family members because during that time my uncle was killed, his entire family was killed, all the kids were killed. My auntie's children were killed. It was a big, big, big tragedy, obviously bigger than what happened in my family because nearly a million people were killed in just 90 days. It is completely unthinkable. It is just unthinkable. It and is. And to think it was your family members. I'm so sorry, Pastor Charles. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's, it's unthinkable. It was, it was terrible. But you know, God gives us grace. Remember the first night I stepped into Rwanda, everything looked dark from a physical point of view, but also from a spiritual point of view. Obviously, those days Rwanda did not have a lot of electricity, so it was physically dark, but also spiritually dark. And for me, that darkness broke my heart more so because I would see children 
struggling in the dark, both physically and spiritually with no families because they had lost their families. Mm. And how old were you when you came back? I was 26. And, uh, and let's go back just a little bit because you met Jesus younger than that. Talk you, about that. You know, the beauty of that at age 17, I met Jesus when my family were still refugees in Uganda. But really this journey of meeting Jesus, I think for me, it began around age 13. Because at age 13, before the war in Rwanda, I was deeply involved in another war in Uganda. And I was a militia. And I was, I would spend nights on the roadblock. And I remember those days. I would pray every night before I went to sleep. Now, I wasn't a born-again Christian the way we understand it. I was raised up Roman Catholic. So I knew about God, but no real personal relationship with Jesus. But in spite of my religious situation, I actually prayed to God. And I felt that my prayers to God were very close and made meaning. But then later on, around age 16, my relationship with God even became more powerful. Now, I had not met a preacher to preach to me. I was not going to like an evangelical church. I was going to a Roman Catholic church. Now, I remember one night I was praying over some needs and I started crying before God. I used to read a prayer book. I found out I could not fit my prayers in a prayer book. So I put my prayer book and I started praying to God. A year later, I ended up meeting a preacher and his family who introduced me to Jesus. So at 17, I gave my life to Christ. Okay, let's go back to Rwanda. Your feet hit the ground. You see massive destruction. How long is this following the genocide? This is a few months just after the genocide. In fact, the genocide, it had been stopped, but the killings were continuing in the parts of Rwanda, like uh, the southern parts of Rwanda, all the way towards Congo. The killings were and the fights were still going on. So I was stepping in partly liberated party of Rwanda. Our dead bodies were still smelling everywhere. Bodies were being f still found in different homes. So you imagine that people would go all over the entire village from house to house looking for survivors, but also looking for dead bodies. And literally, it's like every the other house you'd open up, you'd find a dead human being there and bodies were still being lifted out of the houses. I want to stop right here and I want to describe Pastor Charles to you. He probably is one of the best visionaries I've ever met. I would sit at tables with him over dinner and we'd be dreaming about um, needs in his country. And all of a sudden he'd look at the person next to him and say, let's start a ministry for that. And I've seen you since I've known you start so many different ministries in your country. You have without fear, without bitterness, it, you, there's literally no other word for you except for hopeful. You are full of joy. You are full of hope. You have seen such darkness and yet You've never, since I've known you, you've never shown me another side but hope, even in the midst of losing friends. I mean, I know even in the last few years, you faced difficulty. You know, from around age 19 all the way to my early 20s, God did a very special job in the middle of my darkness. 
And I remember those darker moments brought me to a very deep relationship in prayer with Jesus. I remember when I became a believer, I was the only believer in my entire village and the only believer in my entire family. I would spend so many hours just in prayer. And God became my friend in a very special way. Jesus became my friend in a very special way far above my religious background, like my relationship with God became so personal. And then, really, my relationship with the Holy Spirit too, I started embracing through prayer the entire Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God would come into my life, and the Spirit of God would help me to pray and intercede. And I remember I would cry so many tears in my prayers. And I really think during those days, God did a deep work of healing in my life. Mm. Now, I wouldn't claim that my healing was instant, but it was a continuous process. Even when I came to the U.S. to go to seminary, after taking a number of classes in counseling, I discovered I was still suffering from post-traumatic stress sure. disorder. But really through prayer, through the help of people, through study, I really thank God through his spirit that has been working and bringing healing in my life. And my desire is to spread that healing to other people. And I can see that healing come to people through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, it literally is all over your country. I mean, people that have been healed because of your ministry, your church. We were talking about connectedness and we're talking about the mind. And so much of what you're sharing right now is relevant because it is this renewal of our mind. Scripture tells us it's possible to not stay bitter, to not stay stuck in negative thought patterns mm. that could mm. literally ruin and waste our lives. And so you you saw God literally heal you. You saw that mind that could have been dark and lost because of the evil that you've seen. And nobody would blame you. I mean, it, it's, it's unthinkable evil that you've witnessed, and yet God has renewed your mind. And so this week specifically, I want to talk about community, because if there's one thing, I mean, if, if for those of you that haven't been to Africa, what you need to understand is that it is probably in Rwanda specifically, and I've been to many countries, but, and this has been true of all of them, but Rwanda even more so than, than mm. the others I've been to. It is the most joyful place I've ever been. The people there are so joyful and to see it marked up against the dark difficult history that mm. is recent. Um, 94, it wasn't so long ago, and yet this joy radiates. I want to talk about where you believe that's rooted and what you've seen your country overcome and how it functions now together. Because this, if you don't know about the genocide, these were two tribes. And those two tribes, certainly remnants of both tribes are living and working mm -hmm. together and mm -hmm. neighbors again. So, mm -hmm. so there's restoration beyond anything we can conceive of. So talk about that healing and what, what your country looks like today and why. You know, it's the genocide of the Tusi people of Rwanda. Jenny, that's sometimes difficult to describe how it's all coming together. I would say first and foremost, God in his own providence, he provided good leadership for our country. When our president stepped into the country, he actually decided that there's going to be no revenge for what happened revenge this should stop with this generation it's not gonna pass on to the next generation 
on a church level, church leaders stood up and church leaders said, this is not going to another generation. We have to stop it now. We've had years, over 30 years of rehearsing pain and division and heart. We're all losing. But also at that time, the two people of Rwanda had lost so much, like lives, families, mothers, sisters, cousins, villages completely wiped out. There are places you can go, and I would show you this entire village was wiped out, and people have never gone back into those areas. And we can show you like signs of proof that these areas used to be habited by people who no longer live here. How have we come this far it's hard to explain, but God has been working in Rwanda and there has been a willingness on the political level and the church level. It's like the church and the state have somehow miraculously agreed that forgiveness, reconciliation, and rebuilding of the nation should take place. So as a result, families are forgiven families. And they have a history of living together. It's like a neighbor killed a neighbor. And now the neighbor gets into prison. Then the following day, what actually happens is that the neighbor's kids are also suffering. And now the one whose family was killed is reaching out to help those. Uh, I'll give you an example. My family lived exactly in the neighborhood of a guy who killed most of the people in the village. And they were neighbors. When I stepped into Rwanda, the guy who killed most of the people on my village was in prison. But the kids were roaming around in the community with no food and, and the mother with no food. And one of the kids I first sponsored was a child of one of the people who killed most of the people on the village. Mm. Now he's a young man and I got involved in his life. So a number of those things have actually happened that uh, people have reached out to forgive. But also perpetuators of the genocide have reached out to ask for forgiveness. Mm. And forgiveness has been offered on a church le- on an individual level, on a church level, on a state level. And that continues. I think it's a miracle. I want to ask you about the culture of community in Rwanda? Because you've been in the U.S. for seminary and multiple trips to visit sponsor families here, people that give to your ministry. You've spent some significant time in the U.S. You know our weaknesses. Let's talk about the strengths of Rwandan community. Now, first of all, I want to say people need people. We have a need for each other. When you read the Bible, the Bible is full of verses that talk about each other encourage each other, support each other, need for each other. We were made for each other and we were made for human connection and not things connection. And I think the whole idea in our culture, we thank God by his grace, people still need each other, possibly because they don't have a lot of material things. And therefore, you have to depend on another to fill in the gaps for you. And as a result, naturally, we mm. have a communal life because we are dependent on each other. I don't want anyone to miss what he just said. They need each other. And so they depend on each other. 
And I think that is one of our biggest barriers in the U.S. Everybody's separated because they don't need each other anymore. We can literally order anything we need off of Amazon. There's not a sense of need. Do you have any hope for us? (laughs) I think there's hope within the Christian community as we continue to read the scriptures. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now, just from Jesus' point of view, he said he is the vine and we are the branches. You realize that Jesus needs us and we need Jesus. We are branches, he is the vine. So there's that continuous need for each other. And I hope the Christian community will provide or provides this kind of hope. Otherwise, how can we be fruitful? How can we be useful and how can we make impact without actually creating community? How have you seen that look different in Rwanda? For me, community is everyday life. And we do all the things without even thinking through them. The thing for us is that I need my neighbors. I need my community. I need my relationships. See, I have so many gaps and needs in my life that we need each other. It's really part of our culture and lifestyle. I did not even recognize it till I came to America. Mm. Everyone drives in his own car, has his own money, and he has his own job, has his own life. And neighbors don't talk to each other and they don't know each other. That to me when I first came to America was a little bit strange. Now the worst part of it is to find it on a seminary campus. That you just get after out of your class and everyone takes his way. You don't even know each other in the classroom. That's unusual, but maybe that is the American culture. The <laughs> Rwandan culture is the community culture because community, we need each other. We have to do life together. That helps with the really people not being lonely. And I think you talk about the joy in Rwanda. The joy is not real about material things, what people have and what people don't have. The joy is about people meeting together and and spending time together, singing together, eating <laughs> together. Yes. Got into going to weddings together. Some of our weddings are three days. Yeah. It's like a, you have three different events to get married and people are spending a lot of time together. I had reduced the number of church services at our church and little did I know that really people want to meet. So now we have a service on Thursday, we have a service on Friday night, we have three services on Sunday. People come around the church and they want to hang around each other. But you know, they don't have televisions in their houses. They don't have movie theaters. Human beings entertain human beings. I think that is beautiful, and that's where people spend their time. Human beings entertain human beings. They are not entertained by a movie theater. And I'm not saying a movie theater is bad. We now have one in the city. But again, you're going to find out that people go in groups to go to a movie theater. It's our life. Independence has been an American value since the beginning. And not just independence from controlling governments, but also independence from needing anybody else. And I think that's part of the privilege and the plenty we've been given in America, right? And I don't want to wish that away. However, I don't think it's brought happiness. I don't think it leads to joy. You are right. Uh, I don't think it ends up bringing joy to us. 
I think I see many people in America who struggle. They may have money, they may have a car, they may have a house, but they are struggling because they are unconnected to other people. I just don't understand why we don't make it happen. <laughs> well, my, my hope is we do. I yeah. My hope is we change things, but it takes looking at the system that we've built and what's not working. And it takes hearing from people like you that live in a world where the context is completely different to say, you know what? We don't have TVs in our house. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, what if we just got rid of our TVs? Like what changes? And I do feel that a lot of people listening are thinking to themselves, I want connection like that, but I don't know how to get it. Yeah, buddy, I really think if you want connection, reach out to somebody. Now, some people are going to say no, but I really think there are people out there who are looking to connect with other people and they are just afraid that they will not be accepted. So as you reach out, you're going to find out people who are going to accept you and people you're going to accept in your life. Someone is out there waiting. I think it's like a, a dating relationship. For nine months, I kept looking at my wife on a campus and I didn't take her out for a date. The funny thing I thought she doesn't need me, but she badly needed me. And she was looking at you thinking you were cute too, I bet. <laughs> yes, and uh, I finally reached out. I got out of my comfort zone. I was a shy boy. I reached out to her. And when I reached out to her, I got a response. She responded. Life ever since is not the same. So I really think there are people out there waiting they want someone to start out to and connect with them and talk to them and invite them into their lives. Bring down the walls we've been building. I think these walls can be broken. They are walls of insecurity. And these walls of insecurity can be broken. And when you break them, you bring in other people. As you bring in more people, gradually you create the culture. Do you think some of those same issues exist in community in Rwanda, or is it totally different? You know, some of those issues are actually are beginning to exist among the elite community, among people who are educated, have money, and busy, which again, I think, leads us to independence because we can depend on ourselves. I think it's a continuous temptation for all of us. It's like the more you get, the more you actually cushion yourself off from others because you don't need them. You can provide everything you need to yourself. I remember when I was growing up, mom would get salt from our neighbor and our neighbor would get salt from us. Our neighbors would get vegetable from us, we'll get vegetable from them. Now in the city, for some people, life is beginning to change. They don't need to get your vegetables, neither get your salt. They have everything they need. And they are trying to, but I don't think it works in our community because people don't know they're going to bump into your private life. People are going to turn up your door without invitations. People <laughs> oh. are still appearing at weddings without invitations. Okay. Some people have tried to do private weddings, invite a few people to their 
into their lives in their wedding. And unfortunately, people just appear and they appear at the wedding with no invitation. And when they appear, they say, you know, we know you, you are getting married. We love you. We are so excited to attend your wedding. Who can say no to someone who turns over to your wedding and he says, I know you and I'm excited for you. Oh, Pastor. Charles, I'm scared for all your kids' weddings. <laughs> you oh, yes. Can, um, you're going to have the whole country there. You know, my wedding had over 800 people. Oh, gosh. I gave out, I think, like a 200 cards, <laughs> 250, and I tried to limit my invitations. But I right. got over 800 people <laughs> attending my wedding, and I don't, I didn't even know everybody. Oh, but they but knew her, me. But his kids are getting older, and they're going to get married before you know it. And you've only been ministering to thousands upon thousands now in your country. So good luck with that. I hope <laughs> they may end up taking their wedding to an island somewhere. Yeah. People <laughs> there can you get go. To. I mean, I want you all not to miss this that people show up uninvited. That is something I say all the time. I have friends that do this at our house and it is love to me. I, I feel that there has to be more of this, that we have to have more of this relationship with people that they know they have permission to to be that kind of friend to us. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just so different here that people don't have reasons to show up at each other's doors. And so we don't. And we've got to, ch- I think the way it changes is we get more intentional. We get so hungry for it that we turn off our TV. And like my friend Ellen and Paul, last night they dropped off their kids somewhere and they said, hey, we're in the neighborhood. We're going to come by. This was last night. Mm-hmm. And they brought cheese and we had wine and we sat and we didn't do a meal. We didn't do anything big, but they literally brought their package of half-eaten cheese and set it on my counter. And we hung out for two and a half hours. And this is what we've got to do is we've just got to show up for each other. And you realize how much that gives you life. Oh, yes. More than watching Netflix, which, you know, it's just, it's, it's so sad. I mean, I really do think if we just got rid of our TVs and we just showed up unannounced at people's houses, that alone would change our communal life. People give life to people by closeness, by being there for each other. They give life. Life radiates from me into your life and your life into my life. And actually, that's the life we need. And that closeness and those relationships that gives us life actually brings joy because when you get life, you get joy. And I think our fear is that it's going to take life. And I notice this in myself, when I start to get isolated or pull back, it's because I think, oh, that's going to cost emotional energy. When we think of the hesitations of not moving into people's lives, we think it's going to cost us something. But the truth is, it gives us so much. It gives us so much. I think there's an energy, there's an ecology uh, when we meet that, wow, this actually energizes our lives and makes us more health. And you live this way because you start ministries as if, you know, it's like a small little project, but yet then it reaches across your whole country. And it's because I think, Pastor Charles, you work and believe that you're working from a place of abundance, that God will give you what you need. That's why you charge ahead without fear and you start ministries and you speak into people's lives, even though your church is very large, has multiple sites, you start seminaries, you know, you just start things. And I think it's because you really believe you're working with God and he's going to give you that abundance and that life that you need to minister to other people. But it seems to not run out. (laughs) You know, I sometimes also think through it. I mean, it's now nearly 20 years of doing ministry in Rwanda. Last Sunday, 
I was speaking at Westside Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and my nine-year-old had me talk to Westside Chapel how much they've been involved with us for now nearly 20 years. This is my nine-year-old. When we went home, he asked me, and he said, Daddy, do you ever have fears that the people who support you can stop? I don't know where he got it. We've seen people continue from one year to another year to another year, and God continues to provide for the needs of the ministry, for the needs of my family, for the needs of the church, for the needs of my community. We now sponsor a little bit over 10,000 children. So it's like that bottle of oil for the widow that actually continues to flow. We put there more bottles and God fills them. So the faith is that we're going to throw there more bottles and we expect God to fill them because our God doesn't have a financial crisis. God does not have needs. God is able to provide for our needs mm. far beyond we can ever ask. He has all the resources for his work and he continues to provide and we thank him for that provision. We open up new ministries and he's there, he appears to provide. Well, and another way he provides is the incredible people that you get to work with. I mean, I have been to multiple cities in Rwanda with your work. I've seen multiple different types of ministries from the seminary to the little preschool that you have. And everywhere I go, there are people that are full of joy, that radiate Christ. Talk about the team that you have and what it feels like to be on mission with such great people. Well, I think one of the greatest thing God has given African New Life Ministries is people. It's our team. It's our team here in the U.S., it's our team in Rwanda. I remember when we started out African New Life Ministries, it was just me and Florence. We started praying that God will bring people to come and serve with us. And God has provided the amazing people, gifted people, able people, people who are incredibly committed to African New Life Ministry and the cause of Christ. People who share the vision, who get the vision and live the vision and live out their life in the community to transform lives by preaching the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ and acting compassionately. They're amazing. It's an amazing team from our directors to our managers to elders to child sponsorship workers. By the way, we have a great board too. To our boards, God has provided in unusual ways. And I also think that all these resources do come because God has provided people. Well, and I wanted to say that because I think we can limit what God, when we don't work out of abundance, when we work out of scarcity, and we don't move toward the risks that God wants us to make, which obviously you were compelled to make because of a broken country. Your, your country was broken and in despair when God called you to mm. be a part of reconciling it. And so it was a clear calling, but yet you stepped out with fear, I'm sure, and in faith that he would provide. 
And so much of the community and the connection we're longing for comes alongside of us as we obey God, as we mm. step into his callings, as we aren't afraid to move into the darkness and the brokenness. Well, you're provoking me to think through all the things that have happened. I remember someone told me, Pastor Charles, it seems if for you, God builds the bridge as you walk on the bridge. Oh, that you, you walk, exactly and as you what, walk, God builds that's it. That's what it is to watch bu- you. Builds yes. the bridge. But no, the way I see it, I see that, wow, God is out there. God loves his people. He wants his people provided for. Mm. He wants his people healed. He wants his people set free from slavery. He wants his people set free from their bondage. For me, it actually comes from a mission, and that's the mission of Christ. Mm. Because when you read Christ's manifesto, he said, I'm anointed. I'm anointed to set the captives free. I'm anointed to get the prisoners go free. I'm anointed to open the eyes of the blind. I'm anointed. It's Christ's mission. Christ's mission is about bringing freedom to people. We live in a continuous struggle. More people are getting in bondage, and God calls us to go out and set them free. So to me, it's not even about resources. It's real about freedom that we need to go and lead in freedom and do that through prayer, do that through preaching the gospel, do that through loving people, but do that by mobilizing other people to come and go with us. Mm. And I think as we mobilize the people and invite them to come, people do come and go with us. I mean, every year, nearly 500 missionaries come from the U.S. every year to come and work in Rwanda on short-term trips. And it's all about bringing freedom, bringing transformation, bringing Christ to people, getting more people to find God. Someone asked me, I remember, a few years ago, and he said, Charles, this ministry is continuing to grow. Why? And I remember telling him, for me, it's not about the size of the ministry. In fact, some people talk about the size. For me, it's not about the size. I don't even see the size. I get that. Because I actually see people who need God. Yeah. And every new site, every new soul, every new expansion, every new community, it's about more people coming to God and as a result God gets more glory and more praises. So it's not that I don't see the size. I don't even know the size. Yeah. Uh, I think it's people from outside who see the size of the ministry. I don't feel it because I'm looking for one more person, That's right. one more child, right. one more community. Well, and it's the joy of following God because you stay busy. You stay busy. You stay focused. You're on mission with your people and something about that. I really believe in people obeying that still quiet voice where God's saying, hey, move toward that need or hey, take a step, take a risk Mm -hmm. in this way. Because as we do that, I really believe it's like Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. But what it says before that is run the race. Mm -hmm. So if you're running your race, you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. And if you're Mm -hmm. running the race, you need to fix your eyes on Jesus and your sin starts to fall off. I really think something about mission causes all the things we want in life to happen. And it really is community. I mean, community is what we're all longing for and connection, but that comes when we have a shared mission. It comes when we actually are together 
working toward a cause. And I think I feel that way with you, Pastor Charles. I feel like every time we see you, you are my brother. There are things about our lives that that are forever different because we know you. We would not have adopted from Rwanda without you. My husband calls me from Rwanda when he's on a trip with you in the orphanages, in mm. our son's orphanage. He didn't mm. meet our son at that time, but he said, we're going to adopt. So you have transformed our lives forever. And I'm just so grateful for you and how your life and your sisterhood and brotherhood from you and Florence have shaped our lives. And so thank you so much for being here and bringing this message to people because it's life-changing. Will you pray for everybody listening? Think of the people that are listening that feel lonely, that are aching for a mission. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you because you sent Jesus to us. When we are lost in our sins and disconnected from you, you did not send things to us. You sent your son to come be among us. God, I pray for everyone out there who is listening to my voice. The Lord, you help them feel and embrace your presence where they are. And let them understand that in their situation and their circumstances, that they are not left alone, but they have a loving God who loves each of them through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins and brokenness. And Father, I pray that you bring healing. I also pray that you shall bring down all the walls that divide us. Lord, that you take away all our insecurities. Lord, that you will increase our faith. Father, we ask you to bless your children. We pray that you be close to each of them. We give them the grace and the strength to walk out of their darkness and their lonely place and find someone to connect with and love and care and bless. We thank you and we love you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So before you guys go today, I want to let you know about a summer camp I worked for back in college called Pine Cove Summer Camp. If you are from the Southeast or the South, you've probably heard of Pine Cove, but it is an amazing camp that is Christ-centered, others-focused, and seriously fun. I know that every single college summer staff that work there are positive role models. It's a safe place for your kids, and we are so excited to partner with them and get you guys a special code. So if you use the code Jenny250 at pinecove.com slash youth camp, you can get $250 off a first-time overnight youth camp registration. So go sign your kid or your family up. They have family camps. Go have fun. Let us know if you sign your kid up.